Hey, what's up, guys? This is Brian Fuller. I'm the worship arts pastor at New Hope Church in Durham, North Carolina, and you are listening to the Practical Worship Podcast. Well, hello, and welcome to the Practical Worship Podcast. I'm Dave Dolphin, and this is a show designed to help you lead a worship band and be a leader of people. And on the first Friday of every single month, We release a new episode, so if you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on whatever app you're using to listen to your podcast, and you're never going to miss another one. Thank you so much for taking part of your day to listen to this. You have found episode number 15, and our guest today is Brian Fuller. He is the worship arts pastor at New Hope Church in Durham, North Carolina, which has been his story for almost 10 years, but you might also know him from Worship Tutorials, which is a fellow YouTube channel channel with Brian Wall. And whether it's a Worship Leader Wednesday video or the Sunday vlog or just a live Q&A video, I kept seeing this guy named Fuller along with Brian Wall, and he has lots of wisdom when it comes to leading a worship ministry. Because if we're all honest, nothing really prepared us for where we are in worship ministry today. The one thing we all have in common is that we all probably got the position we're in today because we could sing or we could play an instrument and lead songs and someone say, congratulations, you're the new worship pastor. And now we're leading an entire ministry and quickly discovering that singing and playing guitar is only a very small part of it. So this conversation that we're about to hear speaks into that. What does it take to be a worship ministry leader, and how can you train for this role if you feel a bit in over your head? But first, the product of the month is the Radial SGI Studio Guitar Interface. See if this sounds familiar. You're trying to get the stage volume less and less and less. In the last decade or so, we've gotten stage monitors off of the stage and we're moving towards in-ear monitors so you don't have that on the stage. We've moved from acoustic drums to maybe electric drums or putting those acoustic drums into some kind of enclosure. And slowly, one by one, We're removing all these things that make noise on the stage, which helps the overall mix in the house. If there's less that you're having to fight and combat that's coming from the stage, and it's just all sound that's coming out of the PA, that mix is going to sound cleaner. One of the last areas to focus on would be the guitar amps. It's not uncommon to have a guitar amp on the stage that the guitar player likes using just because of the tone and, and everything they can get. But if you can move that guitar amp somewhere either behind the curtain or off stage or in a, even in a different room, then you can, it's one more way, one more thing you can do to clean up that mix and reduce the volume that's happening on the stage. But it's not as simple as just running a really, really long guitar cable from the pedal board to the amp because that messes with the tone and the sound that you're getting that eventually reaches to the amp. And if you think about it, like when you go out and you see like a, a really large act like Chris Tomlin or Hillsong United, and they've got these big, huge arenas, where do you think they're putting their amps? They're putting their amps backstage, and and they got to make these runs that are like 100, 200, 300 feet. Well, the way that they're solving this problem as far as how do you get 
the signal from the pedal board to the amp at a long distance in a different room or somewhere off stage or whatever. The industry standard is these yellow radio SGI boxes. So you have one box that you put at the guitar pedal and you plug that in and then you have another box, another yellow box back at the amp and in between you run basically a microphone cable. And it's not quite the same as a microphone cable but just the same reason that you can run a balanced XLR cable over several hundred feet. The same kind of physics that's going on to make that happen is being applied to the electric guitar cable. And what comes out is this really pristine, beautiful tone. At the last church I was at, we had the guitar amp behind a curtain. It was about a 50-foot run. Sounded amazing. I visited a lot of Life Church campuses, and they actually put their amps in a room well behind the stage. And they've got these, you know, maybe 100, 100 feet runs that they're doing to get the signal from the stage to these guitar amps. And it sounds amazing. And so if you're looking for a way to get the amps off of the stage, but to still make the tone sound really, really nice, these radio SGI boxes are the way to go. I'll put a link to those yellow boxes in the show notes so you can uh, follow the link and get some more information, read reviews on Amazon and things like that. In fact, as we mentioned things throughout the episode, we'll put links to all of them in the show notes as well. You can find those at practicalworshipblog.com slash podcast 15. And now here's my conversation with Brian Fuller. Brian Fuller, welcome to the show. What's up, Dave? How you doing, buddy? Hey, man, the first thing I have... Okay, so I have to make this confession to you. So, um, obviously, you know, you and I have a mutual friend, Brian Wall, who does worship tutorials. Never heard of him. Never heard of him? (laughs) Just kidding. One of my best friends. Maybe my best friend. Yeah. Uh, now, Now that Queen song is, like, stuck in my head now. You're my best friend. It's a good one. So, you know, Brian Wall, he does worship tutorials and a fellow YouTuber and all that. And so I've I've been following his stuff for a while. And and that's how I kind of got introduced to who you were, because he would start bringing you onto these videos. And it's like, OK, I'm Brian. Here's my friend Fuller. And next video, I'm Brian. Here's my next Fuller. I didn't realize until like three weeks ago <laughs> that your first name is actually not Fuller. It's Brian. And then my mind went to this place of like, OK, so. Did Brian like bring you into a room and say, "Okay, look, I want to, uh, I want to, I want to bring you onto these videos, but this, these videos are not big enough for two Brian's. So one of us, one of us is going to have to is just right. put that gauntlet down and like do something different." I surrendered to him. He had already built his brand, so I had to become someone else. Actually, that happened to me in uh, uh, like elementary school when when my generation, there, every other kid was named Brian. So uh, we, I was in a class literally with like four Brian's and two Ryan's, which most people can't pronounce Ryan right, so it sounds like Brian. Right. And uh, and so we all started going by our last names. So I became Fuller. That's so funny. Yeah, because that conversation could have went completely different. Like if you won the arm wrestling match for that, it's like, <laughs> hey, my name is Brian. Here's my friend Wall. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so we're Brian and Brian. So yeah. you you could have made that work too. So we like, could. We my, could. This is Daryl, my other brother, Daryl. Yeah, that's good stuff there. Well, I mean, you're one to talk because your last name is Dolphin. This is true, and I have to tell this story. So growing up, I was I was not the popular kid. That's a shocker. 
And um, and so having the last name Dolphin only added fuel to the fire. And like <laughs> this is like the 70s and the 80s. And so like kids are singing the theme song to Flipper to me. Oh, and yeah. Just, and all of that. And so now now I'm a grown man and I've got kids that are in high school and middle school and they love it. Oh, they yeah. They love having the last name Dolphin. My son, who's in he's in high school, all, all of his friends call him Dolphin. Yes. And they think it's cool. And he thinks it's cool. And I'm like... Buddy, in in 1982, <laughs> it was not cool. See, that's what I love. See, like, what if this podcast was just called Dolphin and Fuller? I mean, that's cool. <laughs> that that's is pretty cool. cool. Yeah. We, after the show, we need to talk about that. I'm I'm gonna call you Dolphin from this day forward. Uh, I like fantastic. it. Fantastic. <laughs> we could we could do that. Well, I wanted yeah. to bring you on the podcast, and I think there's a uh, a lot of wisdom and experience that that you have, you know, coming to the table. And for those that are listening, that. May, their entry into the position that they're in now, as far as like when someone approached them and said, hey, I want you to lead worship, or I want you to come on staff and be the worship leader or the worship uh, pastor here at the church, most likely the reason why we all get approached that way is because we have the ability to sing or play acoustic guitar or piano or lead songs and all that. And so we get into these positions, and it's not soon afterwards that we go, hmm, there's a lot more to this than just <laughs> just the music side of things. And so I wanted to have a conversation kind of based around that as far as the other elements and the other sides uh, and the, the responsibilities of everything that it, it means to be a worship pastor and to lead a worship ministry. So I want to tap in some of the experiences that you had. Like, like for example, like when you first started as a worship pastor, like how, how what was that like for you? Like how prepared do you feel like you were going into that? Yeah. So I, I think like most people, I had no idea what I was getting into. I did have a lot of musical background. So the, the craft aspect of it, to me, there's like two aspects of being a worship leader. There's the craft of the music, the organization, the administrative skills, and then there's the the calling side, the spiritual piece. And, and I think you really have to have both of those. And so when I got when I first became a worship arts pastor, I had the craft because I had already honed my craft musically. I could sing, I could play, I understood music, I could direct bands. So it totally made sense to me. I'm like, oh, this seems like a great thing. Um, but then, like most people listening to this right now, after about day two, I realized, uh-oh, <laughs> there's there's a lot more to this that I'm going to have to learn. Um, and it was a journey. But fortunately for me, I praise God um, that I had a few mentors in my life uh, that helped me uh, kind of acclimate to it. It gave me lots of grace, gave me lots of encourage and wisdom. Um, and that was kind of like the starting point for me, like stepping into ministry. But but it was it was rough. And uh, I learned learned a lot from a lot of mistakes. When did you realize that there was that this is more than just you singing and playing guitar? Like, what was that moment like when you're like, "Whoa, okay, I didn't realize that it also meant this." Yeah. So fortunately, I had I had been so so when I first started in worship ministry, uh, I was down in South Florida at a church called uh, Flamingo Road Church, which is now Potential Church, uh, and this was uh, around 2006. And so I started serving, and I just was volunteering because uh, my uncle went to this church as well. 
and we played basketball with the worship arts pastor. So we were playing basketball. My uncle's in the music business, and so the worship pastor, who was a phenomenal recruiter, basically we were playing basketball and said, hey, you should play on our worship team. So my entry point was I, I just I started playing guitar. I started playing guitar. The church was great. I loved what uh, it seemed like God was doing there. And, um, and so I kind of became part of their process and part of their system, which was actually fairly organized and fairly led well. And so I was able to watch as a volunteer, like, wow, this seems pretty high level. And so I was able to, so when, when I finally got called into being on staff as a worship pastor there, I kind of knew that there was going to be a lot of things that I was going to have to learn just from observation. So you know, one of the things that I always encourage people before they kind of, you know, because, you know, kids who graduate college, you know, um, kids who get worship degrees and now they're out in the real world looking for jobs. The first thing I tell them is start serving somewhere. Just just don't look for a job. Just go find a church that you believe in and start serving. And And through that serving is where you get a lot of the kind of experience and stuff. You know, I feel for the person that just gets like pulled out of a situation and put into a brand new environment that they know nothing about. That that is a tough place to start. Yeah, it's funny, like because you know you see on on Facebook groups that I'm there too, and in uh, in there's a lot of people that are asking questions. You and you can just tell like they're having that moment where they you know three months ago they were asked to be the worship leader at their church, and they're like, cool, I can lead songs and I can sing, and then the question that they're posing to the Facebook group is like oh, I've got this problem with a drummer, he can't do this, or <laughs> my pastor wants me to do this, or this church member's complaining about this, what do I do? And so yeah. I see that that quite a bit. So uh, where do you where do you see like young worship pastors that are kind of new to this, where do you see them struggling the most? Well, yeah, that's, oh, wow, that is a great question. It's interesting, two, two things, because um, everyone struggles uniquely, right? Each church is unique, and each church has its own set of problems. But from an overall like 30,000 foot view, it's always the same stuff. So it's it's almost like a dichotomy. It's like each person has their own unique circumstance, their own unique personalities, yet it just seems like the same problems occur over and over and over again. And uh, I, for me, I think most of the time uh, at the beginning the first culture shock is I want to change a bunch of stuff and nobody wants to change. Have you ever heard that one? Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> that is a common thread at every church I've ever heard about um, it, because change is hard. And so you get this young person that's full of energy, that's excited, and then the very first thing they try to do, everyone's like, we don't like that. And so instantly it's, it's doubting. It's like, should I, am I the right guy? Should I be doing this? And, 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 it, uh, and it always seems to be something that seems like on the surface, something very trivial. Small, yeah. Like, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pull the organ off the stage or we're going <laughs> to, we're going to put these pallets on the back and shoot some lights. Something that you think like, this is like, yes. this is my small step. And, every, and, yes. then, and then all of a sudden there's this mutiny of people going, well, you know, <laughs> we, we've never done it that way before. We don't like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. So I think part of that is is just this overwhelming sense of now you're in charge, and so now you've got to make this thing great. Um, and you forget that building culture and building building a great worship ministry takes a lot of time, and it, and and it and it takes a lot of relationship building and a lot of equipping. And but but you know we get in there and we just want to do things instantly. Sometimes we just got to go in first. And, and just absorb. Uh, and so I think that's that's a common challenge is 
is the nobody wants to change. The other common challenge I see is people aren't prepared or it's not at the standard we want. You know, it's like we want to make it better, but no one will practice. No one will show up on time. Uh, I can't get a rehearsal. All of these things that seem so basic, but they end up being really huge problems. So in solving those problems, like, you know, obviously there's like the detail answer. Like if, if people aren't showing up on time, there's some things that you can do. But sure. But 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 again, back at that thirty thousand foot view, and uh, and this kind of ties in with what you bring to the ministry as the leader of the ministry beyond singing and playing guitar and stuff like that. These problems that you see people facing, like what's what's at the core of that? So I, I think, I mean, we I think you know what's at the core, and that's why you started this blog is. It's, it's really all about leadership. It's all the way from spiritual leadership to physical leadership uh, and emotional leadership. Uh, it, it's, it's knowing what God has equipped you and called you to do and then really figuring out how to do it well. And that's everything rises and falls on leadership. And there's leadership above you and there's leadership below you. So learning how to navigate that thing, learning how to move uh, around in those environments, because no one, well, there, not anyone, no one I know of, no worship leader I know of has full reign, full authority to do anything he wants. Right. Um, and so we're always learning how to operate within a system, within an organization, um, submitting to authority, submitting to leadership. But at the end of the day, I, be- I truly believe that every worship problem you have can be solved by great spiritual leadership. Okay, so what does that look like? Okay, so I think one thing is, uh, you know, we talked about craft a little bit. I have kind of like, I basically look at uh, being a worship leader into five five groups, okay? The first group is spiritual. Uh, maybe call them a, a pillar, if you will. There's the spiritual pillar, right? You got to be in love with God. You got to be sold out to Jesus. You got to be uh, relying on the Holy Spirit. And you got to really believe in what you're doing, okay? Otherwise, why do it at all? Um uh, the second pillar, and I think this is really huge, is relational, is how you interact with people, how you talk to people, how you um, network with people, how you um, counsel people, and, and just how you are around people. I mean, how many great worship leaders have you met that have terrible personalities? Yeah. N- not not many. You know, um, those are usually the people, everyone, when they walk into the room, they're like, oh my gosh, that person's here. You know, so you got you to gotta be the person that when you walk in the room, everyone goes, I am so glad you walked in this room. And, and that, that gives you influence and it builds trust with people. So spiritual, relational. The third one is administration, right? Like you have to learn as a musician how to organize, how to use what we call in our generation a day planner. (laughs) It's like, it's cool. It's got like months and days in blocks and you can write in when things are supposed to happen. It's really neat. Um, And so I think musicians need to learn how to be organized, be administrative, um, how to communicate. So let's park there for a second because I, you know, I know that creatives who generally are, you know, worship leaders and, you know, singers and all that, they're not necessarily known for their admin skills. And the things no. I know about personalities is that, like, what makes them such a great creative, what makes them so good in that role is because they are kind of freed up from all the restrictions of, mm-hmm. of administration and task and all that. So you don't necessarily want them to be something that they're not. 
But in order to lead a ministry in a group of people, you have to be somewhat structured in what you do, even if it kind of goes against the grain a little bit. So what, what, what can you say to someone that is that creative type that just really struggles with that administrative part? Yeah, and, and you are exactly right. Musicians, including myself, are notoriously unorganized and a little scattered brain. And I do think that that is part of what makes us creative, right? So you don't, you can't just throw away all your creative side and your artist side. You have to nurture the artist side. But, uh, but the, it's, it's, it's like this, and, and this is the picture I paint for you. Let's say you're a guitar player at your church. You go to this great church and you're a guitar player and you sing a little bit. You're involved. You love it. You show up. You play the songs. You sing. And it's fantastic. So now you're under the impression that you're ready to be a worship leader. What you don't realize is behind the scenes, somebody is organizing the heck out of that stuff. Someone is making charts and picking songs and thinking through transitions so that when you get there, you can be creative. And so what happens is when you step into the role of worship pastor, now all of that creative stuff becomes very a very small part of it, and you have to take on this mantle of all of this organization. And so I always tell people, be really careful when you look at someone and you go, oh, I could do that. I could do what they're doing. I could be up there. I should be the guy leading this thing because you really don't know until you jump in it what all is really happening and music is such a small part of it. So, but, but the good news is that there are so many great resources out there to learn how to be organized. But again, it starts with this this calling, this desire to grow, this desire to be better. I'm fortunate because I married a woman 11 years ago that is extremely organized. And when I met her, I was pretty, I wouldn't say flaky, but it was close, right? I was on the, on the verge. And through our relationship, through how she's challenged me, I've seen the value in organization. I've seen ways to do organization and she's really helped me. And so People in your life can help you become that. You know, they say you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Mm. So if you're spending a lot of time with flaky, unorganized people, guess what? That's how you're going to remain. So whenever I meet somebody that has something, a skill or attitude or a perspective I don't have that I desire – I want to hang out with them. I want them in my inner circle. You know, if I meet someone that's really spiritual and really deep that I hit it off with, I'm like, I want to spend time with this person because they're going to rub off on me. And so these things are totally trainable. You know, nobody's, I mean, you know, some people are more gifted in that side of the brain, but I think to be a great worship leader, you got to figure out how to balance that left side, right side of the brain. Because if you don't, you will be like eternally frustrated. That's so good. There was okay. So you mentioned you know when we were these pillars. Uh, good band, by the way. Uh, these pillars <laughs> of worship ministry: uh, spiritual, relational, administrative. What are some of the other sides uh, that you see? So the um, the next one I would say is coaching, right? Because part of your role as a worship arts pastor is to build a team. Like you cannot do it alone. And and the reality is God is putting so many people in your path that He's equipped to help your ministry, to uh, to uh, further his kingdom. As leaders, all we're responsible for is assimilating and getting people in the right seats on the bus so that they can use their gifts. You know, one fallacy, if you will, one, one um, uh, negative perspective, myth, if you will, of becoming a worship leader is that now I'm in charge, so I have to do everything. And that is the opposite 
of what worship leaders do. The perspective that you got to change your mind to is now I'm in charge. I've got to get other people to empower themselves to do this thing because that's how God is going to really, you know, expand your tent, expand um, your land is through empowering other people. And when you do that, A, life is easier and it's funner. And B, you get to see God do things in other people's lives that, that otherwise would not happen. I always say it like this. Um, God doesn't use you to complete a task. He uses the task to complete you. Mm. And if we really believe that, we don't. We know look. We no longer look at it like, man, I need a drummer so bad. We look at it as the Lord has positioned me to have a spot to fill. And there's a drummer out there that through his serving, through his uh, worshiping, God is going to fulfill his calling in his life. And when you look at it like that, it becomes a completely different responsibility. So now I'm not looking for drummers. I'm looking for people who want to grow in Christ. I'm looking for people that I can empower so that God can unleash his vision in their life. And that's a complete different mind change. And it's so fulfilling too when you see people like like step into those giftings and grow. Like for example, there is a there was a lady on uh, on the team that I had at a church I was uh, previously at, and she I mean she could sing the fire out of any <laughs> song. But if you asked her to say words like share or talk, like she couldn't do it. And we we had this one set, and she'd been doing it for a while, and she was a part of the leadership team and just trying to like help her and grow and all that. And so I said, okay, this is the first song out of the out of the gate countdown video into the song you're the one leading it it makes sense that you're the person to stand up there and say hey welcome we're so glad that you're here would you stand yeah. to your feet would you sing with us and she's like i don't know if i can do that and we went back and forth <laughs> That's but i just scary, said, just right? try it so yeah. that morning you know the countdown hits zero and the band hits the note and she goes hi stand <laughs> up <laughs> I've I've experienced that at least five times in my career. But here's the thing is so like months later, because she kind of got that out of the way and she realized, okay, that probably wasn't the best way, but you know, it wasn't as scary as she thought. You know, months later down the road, you know, we did that um uh, that Jeremy Camp song, uh Just Give Me Jesus. Yeah. And uh, and you know, special place in her heart. And so now she's like sharing before the song wow. why this is special to her and and, mm. and and she's able now to say those words that six months ago she couldn't. And That's amazing. when I left that church, she along with the other people that I poured into continued on to lead the ministry. That ministry, mm. that church I left almost a year ago, that worship ministry, even though they don't they don't have a full time person in that in that spot still, is still going because mm. of being able to pour into those people and build them up, and now they're running it, and I stand back just as like a proud dad, so to speak. Yes. There is nothing better than the feeling of seeing someone uh, rise up. And, 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 you know, I look at it like this. It's, it's like the old proverb. If, if you can uh, give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man a fish, he eats for a lifetime. When you, you can lead worship, right? You can get up on stage and play guitar and sing and lead worship for whatever, 50 people, 100 people. But what if you could lead, what if you could teach three people how to lead worship for 50 people or 100 people? And before you know it, you're influencing the world through the coaching and the training that you've given to other people. And uh, there's no better feeling than that. There's no better feeling than seeing somebody excel because of an opportunity that you helped make for them or that you empowered them for. And um, it's funny that you said that because when you do have that experience where you empower someone and maybe they quote unquote fail the first time, hey, everybody stand up. You know, it's like the natural reaction for a leader 
or, or for a non-leader is to, okay, we're never doing that again. Right. But for a, for a leader, a leader understands the balance between control and growth. You know, if you, you can have total control, but you will not grow. And you can have total growth, but you'll have no control. So somewhere there's a balance of you have to control, right? You have to you have to control a little bit, make sure people aren't going crazy and things are getting sideways and stuff. But at the same time, you can't be afraid to fail because if you're afraid to fail, you'll never grow. So there's there's kind of this ebb and flow of you know empowering people, letting them make mistakes. Maybe it's not going to be a home run, but maybe it's going to get you where you need to go. And 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 so there's this fear of failing that we got to get past, you know, um, and just and trust the Lord and 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 you. You know, trust the discernment of the spirit when when you're coaching people, you know, and believe in people, give them give them opportunities to fail. I mean, I look back on my my career and oh, my gosh, people have let me fail so many times. But it's made you the man that you are today. That's right. Exactly. You know, uh, successful people are just failures that never quit. (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, and it's funny. I was talking to Brian Wall last night. Um, his son is in Taekwondo and uh, I told him I was going to tell the story today. And so now, it, now it's a perfect timing. But, um, the instructor who was like a 10th degree black belt was asking the kids, what's the difference between a white belt and a black belt? And so the kids were, you know, uh, what would prevent, you know, they were making all these excuses and the instructor finally said, a black belt is a white belt that never quit. Mm. And I was like, man, if that's not what being a worship leader is, like, you know, I don't know what is. So just words of wisdom, man. It's going to be hard. And there's going to be times when you want to give up. But the more you stay with it and the more you just let God lead you, you will start to see the fruits of your labor. But it's not going to happen on day one. That's good. What's the fifth pillar of being a worship leader? The fifth pillar, and it's funny, I, I specifically put this one five, is just being a musician. You know, um, it's really important because, you know, what we do from worship perspective, music is a huge part of it. And I believe God deserves our best. I believe that excellence honors God. And, um, you know, I, my heart breaks when I see worship leaders that, like, they don't care about like the quality or they don't really put time into learning their craft or become or even tuning their guitar. There's nothing. Listen, there no matter how spirit led you are, if your acoustic guitar is out of tune, I'm not I'm I'm not singing kumbaya with you cuz it's just going to bother me the whole time. Um so just like little basic things. You don't have to be a virtuoso, but you know, music is an important piece of it, but it's it's low on the list. So a lot of it too is is as, as being the leader of the ministry, like you're creating that culture, like you said earlier on, like when when you walked in and you started, you know, playing guitar for the worship ministry and it's super organized to the point that it was fun for you, you enjoyed it, um, and, and you didn't necessarily see all the things that were happening behind the curtain that made it as as easy and flawless for you, um, or just you know how how people react in situations and how people treat one another. I mean, that's that's the culture, and you can either that's going to happen on its own. I think it's going to kind of create itself, or you can be intentional about creating that culture as the leader. So how do you go about crafting that culture in a very intentional way? Yeah. um, I think the first thing is you got to, you got to know that if you find yourself in a position of leading a worship team, I believe that it's not an accident. You know, you are not the wrong person. Like the Lord has put you in a position for a reason. He wants to do something through you. He wants to do something in you. And he wants to do something in others because of you. And so I think a lot of us come in very timid 
and very afraid. You know, I've noticed kind of a trend with people who have been, especially volunteers. Um, God bless you, the volunteer that's running a worship ministry and working a 70-hour-a-week job. Um, there's a special place in heaven for you. Um, uh, but but one common thread is that uh, sometimes they, they come in and they're just afraid to, to make, so they're the opposite, you know, they're afraid to make a decision or they're afraid they're going to offend someone or they're afraid someone's going to lead, leave the team. Um, and so when it comes to your ministry, you, you know, back to the spiritual piece, you got to spend time with God and letting the Holy Spirit lead you because now the mantle is yours for however short or long the window is going to be. You've got to just go, listen, the mantle of this is mine now. And so you have to develop what you want for your team. What are the goals? You know, your goals, I always suggest writing a vision statement for your team or a set of values. That's something we did here when I first got to New Hope in 2010. We created a set of values and we called it CORE, C-O-R-E, Community, Ownership, Reverence, and Excellence. Those were the four things that we were going to build our team around. Everything we did, everything we said was going to revolve around those four values. And so once we had a clear image of what we wanted to value, then I was able to set that culture. And, and, and so as the leader, you have to begin to set the culture. If you want people to be prepared, guess what? You show up prepared. If you want people to be on time, you show up on time. And, and if you want people to speak um, wisely or not be sarcastic, guess what? You got to lead the way in that. And so speed of the leader, speed of the team, you start setting the culture that you expect. And I tell you, if you're consistent and authentic, it has to be real. You have, you have to own this stuff. It can't be like, Oh, while I'm there, I'm going to be this way. No, you've got to live this thing out. And as you live this out, the people will see it. The people will start to realize that this is what we value. And then the other thing is, you start to find people on your team that really believe in it and that believe in you. I always say this, my most practical tip, if you became a worship leader today, my first most practical tip is look at the whole team, look at everyone's available, who on that team can be your right-hand man or woman, who can hold you up, who can support you, who do you connect with that can help you lead this thing, and you start building some camaraderie there. Those are your people that are going to help you set the culture, you know? And, and those are the people. And so what happens is you start develop, you go from no one ever shows up on time to no one's ever late. And, and the thing is, when you're, when you have 10 people and nine of them are 15 minutes early, that 10th person that walks in late, they're going to feel that they're going to, they're going to really feel that. Especially if the band is already playing the song. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. A vocalist that walks on stage and you're already in the middle of a song. That'll probably be the last time they're late. So wise. So are you ready now for the bonus round? I've been looking forward to this all week. You should be. <laughs> all right, Fuller, it's coming at you in three, two, one. Coffee or tea? It's coffee. And tea. Man, that's a hard one. Sorry. <laughs> I, did, I did one with Stephen Brewster, and uh, I said, coffee or tea? And he goes, sugar-free Red Bull. I said, that wasn't an option. He goes, I'm a creative. I'm, don't put me in a box. <laughs> Not sugar-free, but I'll take a Red Bull. Early riser or night owl? Early riser. I used to be a night owl, but now I'm an early riser. Favorite TV or Netflix show? Wow, that's a that's a hard one. Um, so my wife's been watching the show Rain, uh, the story of Francis and uh, Queen Mary and stuff. Okay. So I've got it kind of got sucked into that. 
I get sucked into those, like those BBC shows. Oh, BBC is like, fantastic. Oh my word! Like you know, yeah. Lark Rise to Candleford and, and, and <laughs> Queen Victoria, and like I get sucked into those. They're well done. The they BBC are. shows are well done. They're good. Cat or dog? Cat, easy. New York City or L.A.? L.A. Crunchy or creamy? Uh, creamy. <laughs> First car you ever owned? Camaro Z28, 1988. It was uh, like a burgundy red. I'll never forget it. I'm Ron Burgundy? <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. He put the question mark. <laughs> Favorite social network? Uh, it was Twitter, but now it's Facebook, I guess. Is Twitter still a thing? I feel like Twitter is almost becoming MySpace. Yeah, I think it's dying. And so I switched over to Facebook. What's a hidden talent that you have that only a few people know about? I have a culinary degree, so I love to cook. Really? So are yeah. you like are you like the main cook in the house? Uh, my wife and I share the load, but we have this rule, whoever cooks, the other person cleans. So I try to cook as much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Something you do every day, no matter what. Sleep. Yeah, I'll do that. If you could give a TED Talk, what would it be about? Oh, man, I was just thinking about this the other day, actually. Um, I think uh, my TED Talk would be on um, achieving your dreams uh, by not giving up. That's fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the bonus round. Give it up for Fowler. Yeah. Hope I did good. What, what was my score? 479. Nice. All right, cool. That's close. Pesos. <laughs> so... One of the things we talked about at the very beginning of it is that, like, getting into these roles, someone approaches you, hey, you sing good, you should be our worship pastor, and now all of a sudden you're in this and you realize, oh, man, there's a, there's administration to this, there's leadership in this, there's coaching in this, there's this relational, you know, part of it. Like, there's all these things to kind of, like, learn, and, you know, I know in my life there's just been people I've always you know, pick their brains and had people that would pour into me. And I would imagine your story is very similar. Uh, but one of the things I think is so exciting is that you're, you, you've you been working on a project pretty much all this year called the Worship Manual, which is a, uh, like a series of videos that you can watch that basically brain dumps all of this experience and, and knowledge that's been poured into you, into other people, so that there is kind of like a manual for being a worship leader. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yes, I'd love to. Uh, it's really my heart's desire. Um, in, in my uh, over uh, about 15, 12, 15 years of being a worship pastor, I've, I personally was hired and it was kind of like, all right, here are the keys to your office. Good luck. You know, um, and that was pretty much my onboarding. Um, and then as our church grew and became multi-site, we started hiring more worship leaders. And guess what the process was? It was the same. Congratulations, you're a worship leader. Here's the key to your office. Good luck. Except now it was like, hey, let's do lunch on Mondays too. You know, and so it started growing. Uh, when I came to New Hope, it was the same thing. We hire, we've hired a lot of worship leaders, man. And, and there's there's no manual for how to be a worship leader. And so when Brian Wall and I were talking, one of my things was I originally wanted to write a book called The Worship Manual. And I'm like, this is going to be a book that basically takes a person off the street in a church and says, you're a worship leader. How do you how do you do this job? And um, and so it kind of Brian and I kept talking about that. And then it morphed into, hey, well, let's do a video, a video course. And so the way we look at it is it's kind of like a, a college course for people who want to become a worship leader. It's from the ground up. And most of it is from our experiences 
of what we've learned and seen, not just mine and Brian's, but the other you know, 20, 30 worship leaders that I've personally hired and mentored over the last 15 years. And so all of this stuff, as we talked and as we thought, it's like, this would be, could you imagine if I could go back 12 years, what would I say to myself? And this is it. This is, this is, this is what, I, what, what I would say to myself 12 years ago from what I've learned. And I always tell people, don't learn from your mistakes. Learn from my mistakes. It's way easier. Um, and so, you know, I just believe that, you know, when this life is over, you know, uh, it's great that I was a worship leader. It's great that, that I was able to, to lead worship for the people that I have. But how much better would it be if people were leading worship in 10 years because of what God has shown me? And so that's kind of been like our mantra is just pouring out. You know, I, I look at it like this. Uh, I can't remember who said it, but it's not my job to fill your cup. It's my job to pour my cup out. And, and that's what we're doing. We're just pouring our cups out. And, uh, and we've got it really well organized. Uh, it's, it comes in, um, volume one is done now. Each volume has five modules. We're working on volume two and volume three now. Um, but it's laid out in a way that like if you started worship leading today in, in order of importance, just like our pillars – like, what are the training things that need to happen? What are the things you need to be aware of? What are the obstacles you're going to face? You know, hey, did you know that a, a, a nice, sweet, elderly lady at some point is going to walk up to you and say, it's too loud? Did you know that's going to happen? You might not have known that was going to happen. But guess what? It's probably going to happen to you for the rest of your life as a, as a worship leader. You know, Is there any way we can put those <laughs> drums in the other room? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So all of these things. Hey, did you know that two of your musicians are probably not going to get along? What are you going to do about that? You know, And so all of these things... Um, and then it graduates uh, slowly as the modules go on. It talks we 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 dive into music theory. You know, there's a, a certain degree of music theory that worship leaders should have. And so, you know, I'm passionate about training. You know, I'm passionate about learning that. You should know what a four chord is, right? If you don't... How do you end a Chris Tomlin song without a four chord? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and where do you go from there? So learning how to talk these basic languages that seem like rocket science to, uh, you know, the basic people. But I know as a worship leader uh, from a decade of, of experience that you got to know these things, right? These are things that are going to make your life and your job easier. And it's also going to allow you to recruit better musicians, you know? And so there's that, there's, there's a module in there, how to build diversity in your church. You know, that's, that's a, that's an important thing that I'm super passionate about. Um, and so just little things along the way to encourage people and to equip and to train people, um, so that you can step fully into this calling that God has on your life. I've been going through the worship manual course myself, and the information that both Fuller and Brian share is gold. They have over 50 videos and almost nine hours of content. Now, there is a cost to it, but I've I've told this to Brian personally. I think he's priced it too low. This course is easily worth two or three hundred dollars, maybe even more. And what they're charging for it is much, much less than that. So I would encourage you to check it out. In fact, there's a good number of the videos, a large selection of the videos that you can actually watch for free. So you can get a really good sense and a really good feel about what this course is about and have the information you need to make sure that this is going to be a good fit for, for you and your situation. I'll put a link to the worship manual course and worship tutorials in the show notes. And to find that, just check out practicalworshiplog.com slash podcast 
15. If you've made it this far into the podcast, hey, do this. Take a screenshot and share it on social media. I always love seeing where you guys are listening to the show from and what you're doing while you're listening to the show. And as you share it, just tag me in it. Whatever social media platform it is, just use at Dave Dolphin. Okay. I just came back from spending two great days in Chicago at the Philo Conference, which is a conference specifically for those that do production in the church. It's put together by my friend Todd Elliott, who actually was a guest on episode number 12, talking about preparing for large events like Easter without losing your mind. And anyway, I shot a bunch of content for the YouTube channel while I was out there talking with some of the best at what they do in worship and church production. So I've been sharing those videos on the YouTube channel. So far, I've released a vlog about my trip, talking about why church conferences are worth the time and expense. And then I also just uploaded a video where I asked several of the speakers and the presenters this question. What's the best piece of advice you can give someone on a worship team or a production team that transcends size? Small, medium, large church. What's something that anyone can do anywhere right now and start making a difference? So the video is a collage of all of these responses to that question. I'll link those in the show notes, or you can just go to youtube.com slash practical worship. This has been the Practical Worship Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dave Dolphin, and let's do this again next month. You're my best friend.